I'll hit record here. I'll hit record myself. How do you like them Smash apples? that record button. Smash it. <laughs> like and subscribe. No, anyway. Law of Equivalent Exchange. This is Tim in Tokyo reading Fullmetal Alchemist in English, published by Viz. And this is Patrick back in Kumamoto reading Hagane no Renkin Jutsushi, the original in Japanese by Arakawa Hiroma, published by Gangan Comics. Right. Okay. So we are up to chapter 64, The Northern Wall of Briggs. Um, and this was a really plot-oriented chapter. It sure was. Yeah, not much sitting around talking or philosophizing. Story was happening here. <laughs> and there is some action, too. But Oh, before we get into that, I wanted to mention that the, uh, the recent Arakawa series, Izumi no Tsugai, uh, which I don't know what the title is in English, but the Volume 3 it just came out in the, in the books. And I haven't read Volume 1, and I almost bought Volume 3 yesterday, but I realized, like, did I even buy Volume 2? I wasn't sure. <laughs> so <laughs> I will check that out sometime soon. I'll give you all an update. So you've just, you've just read Volume 1. Well, I bought it, and I haven't read it. <laughs> oh, bought. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. you're, this is a review of buying books rather than reading them. That's okay, right. great. <laughs> hey, I like the so cover. So were you happy with the <laughs> transaction? So happy with my purchase. I, I bought it myself using and... a self. No, I had to do a self Reggie. Ah, okay. At, at Staya. At Staya. I had to go beep beep and, you know, put in my credit card and all the, did, it, did it all myself. Yeah, at Staya, the bookstore chain here in Japan. And I know, I know like half of the staff mm. at our local one because uh, they volunteer, uh, some of them volunteer at the uh, the English play that my daughter was in. So it's. We like nobody knows each other's names, but we all know each other's faces. Mm-hmm. So, where are we, Tim? What are we doing here? Uh, well, let's see. In ch- uh, volume sixteen, here I'm looking at page ninety-five, the f- first page of the chapter, and Al is still at the library, got a bunch of books, but he can't find anything about the purification arts, the Xing version of alchemy. Yeah, in Japanese, the alchemy is Renkin Jutsu. Mm-hmm. And then in the Shin one is Ren Tan Jutsu, so it's yeah, it's just one character difference, but apparently it makes a a whole big difference, meaning wise. So Al is thinking about how May's long range alchemy was amazing, he says, remembering how from the distance that she could do alchemy. By the way, I don't know why I hadn't noticed this before, but in Viz, they spell May, M-A-Y, rather than hmm. M-E-I, which is what I would have expected since she's basically Chinese. Right. Um, or, uh, you know, in Japanese, also there are girls named May and it's M-E-I. So, I don't know, I'd, I'd be interested in knowing if other versions or like scanlations or something have spelled it M-E-I more like a 
Chinese name? Yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, I, I would have gone with MEI, MEI myself, I think. Yeah, I mean, um, MAY, I'm thinking, well, when she grew up, she had a nephew named Peter who got bit, bitten by a radioactive spider, and it uh, doesn't quite work. <laughs> You've got spider on the brain, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking about a girl that I once dated from Singapore named May. Mm. I never asked her how she spelled it. <laughs> but I met her in Chinatown in New York. Okay. Oh, I was 15 years old. I was 15 years old. And uh, I, she was shorter than me. <laughs> and I assumed she was around my age. And so I asked her out and we went to see a double feature. It was Supergirl and Life Force. What a combination there. And because uh, you're like, it's like barely PG and like way hard R. <laughs> and... Uh, we went. We were watching it, and we we're in the second movie's about to start. And she goes, "Do you want a beer?" And I was like, "Uh, <laughs> I'm 15." And uh, I said, "How old are you?" And she goes, "Oh, I'm 27." <laughs> <laughs> Oops. We went out a couple more times. <laughs> so, yeah, that was it. Was a good movie though. Life Force. Supergirl, much less so, but <laughs> Matilda May. Matilda May was in Life Force. There's another May. Okay. So. M-A-Y, I assume. M-A-Y, yeah. So Al is looking through the books, and then he's approached by a kid who he doesn't recognize. Uh, we know that it's Selim Bradley, um, who is all got these like magic sparkles around his eyes because he know he really <laughs> idolizes Ed and he realizes that this suit of armor is the brother of the Full Metal Alchemist and so cool wow I can't believe it he says you really are a suit of armor awesome <laughs> and he's kind of curious why. Al would be studying about some other country's minor form of alchemy when Amestris has the best alchemy. Um, and Al can't really tell him the real reasons. So he just says it's for world peace. <laughs> I've heard that the purification arts are related to medicine. We want to learn more about it to see if it can be used to save lives. Isn't this, isn't this just a little bit, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not pessimistic, but just like uh, cynical. Cynical, yes. That you know that that Al's basically saying when people talk about world peace, basically they're just it's just lip service. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's dissing the Miss Universe pageant right here. <laughs> you know, that's what I think this is. Okay, so Ed walks in and he's saying, "You know, Al, get ready. We got to go." And Al's not sure where they're going, but then, you know, Selim is, is all adoringly looking at Ed, saying, if you're Mr. Armour's big brother, that means you're Edward, the Fulminant Alchemist, right? Uh-huh. Wow, you really are a tiny alchemist, just like everyone says. <laughs> and Ed's face is indescribable. <laughs> Lamprey. Lamprey with eyes. That's what I'm thinking. Lamprey with eyes. Lamprey. Or, uh... Yeah, lamprey is like a leech, you know, okay. that, that kind of, you know, the round mouth with the t with the teeth. Also, I'm thinking another kind of leech is the salt monster. 
mm. in like the uh, the Star Trek episode. Okay. Where yeah, there's a salt monster that's sucking the salt out of people's bodies. Mm. I think also the real life microscopic animal, the tardigrade, has a mouth kind of like that. Ah. But yeah, he's got that round mouth, and something's really wrong with his eyes, and his face is all <laughs> shaded. Uh, and he's put his hand on Selim's head, saying, "You want to go flying? I'll send you on a one-way trip to Neptune." Um, <laughs> now, does the Japanese mention the planet Neptune? It totally does. It says uh, Kaiosei, which is I, mm. I believe that's correct. Okay. Well, that's interesting to me because, I mean, wherever it is they live, it has a lot of countries that don't really exist on Earth. And so I'm not sure what planet they're on. Is this supposed to be like a completely different version of Earth or what? <laughs> that you know, That's always kind of vague in this comic. Is this Earth or is this some other fictional planet or is... Yeah, I'm unclear. Well, I, I think most fantasy like most fantasy is like it's it's earth but it's not mm. kind of you know what i mean like they mm. don't always like they don't always come out and say it uh because it's earth except everything's different <laughs> yeah because if they focus too much on it's another planet then is it science fiction now is it like <laughs> what, it's like <laughs> you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so it's i think that like for example, we were, we were talking about Tolkien a second ago uh, before we started recording. And I think that's kind of like an alternative history. Conan the Barbarian is kind of an alternative history. Uh, mm -hmm. This kind of thing. But, yeah, this is... It's another planet that also has a Neptune. I don't know. I, I think when <laughs> when the comedy comes in that there's a lot more breaking of the fourth wall. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. I mean, so sometimes Japan references come up there, right? Like the, That's right. the hand fans with the Japanese flag on them. Like, yes. Yes. What? yes. <laughs> so yeah, whenever like the comedy comes in, it's, I think like the, the barriers between reality <laughs> and the reality mm -hmm. of this comic, like start to, thin and yeah yeah you get real, that's true. real world references so that that might mm. be i wonder why neptune though it's this not like this is a common saying it's not like you know <laughs> like it's not like the honeymooners alice one day to the moon you know it's it's not like look it up the yeah, honeymooners oddly specific it, yeah, if you like the front Flintstones, you gotta look up the, the honeymooners first. <laughs> They're, right? The yeah, kids, original. ask your grandparents about the honeymooners. <laughs> so, and then he gets some weapons pointed at him. Really tiny yeah. looking guns, by the way. <laughs> A couple of guns are pointed at his head and being cocked, kachak. Which reminds me, I didn't think about my sound effect, but that's a pretty decent one. Um, and it's these bodyguards of Selim's. I was noticing the Japanese of the of the sound is jaka. Jaka. Of, okay. Yeah. Instead of kachak, hmm. basically switches the consonant sounds. Mm. And they'd say, "Step away from Mister Selim," um, and then Ed and Al realize who this is. It's Bradley's son. He's 
kind of a little bit stuck on the fact that the kid looks up to him. Well, yes. So, you know, then we have a little bit of a jump ahead and Selim is sitting there at the table with his mom and she's saying, sorry to trouble you. It's just that our little boy admires you so much. And Ed says, admires me. And he's got uh, steam coming out of his nose like a like a bull snorting. Um, and his antenna, and, his antenna goes beep, you know. Oh, uh, yeah. And the next panel, he's still thinking, admires me? Um, with kind of a weird look on his face. I'm not sure if that's necessarily a pleased look. Right? But... <laughs> if it wasn't for the shininess around him, then I would say, like, what is... Yeah, I was confused about the look. But obviously, you know, with he's like, ho-ho, you know. You've come to learn from the master. Like, this kind of, you know. That, yeah. I think that's what it is. Yeah, well, I th- it definitely it's less annoyed than the first uh, admires me. Sure. Yeah. And something that comes out in this conversation is that Selim is not their blood son. They weren't able to have children. He is adopted. Uh, His mother says, from a distant relative. Um, I'm pretty sure that's not the case, as I recall, but we'll leave that for a future chapter. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I have no memories whatsoever about, Hmm, you know. Really? Okay. Yeah, I've noticed this this uh, gap that you have about Selim that I don't. That's one of the <laughs> few things that. I, well, of course, you know, many times I, already I've thought I remembered something and remembered it completely wrong, so <laughs> I can't re- necessarily brag. Oh, I remember this completely, but uh, I'm pretty sure I remember what what happens regarding him. I'm glad I don't remember because when it comes up, I want to be, you know. I want to take it in, as I probably did the first time, <laughs> as a complete surprise. So I should probably either seek medical help or just enjoy the fact that I can never remember the ending of a book <laughs> as soon as I've read it. Well, as long as you like, don't forget names of family members and stuff like that. Don't forget your wife's name or your daughter's name. Well, I haven't. <laughs> no, I haven't forgotten those. I I do sometimes call. Uh, my wife by my daughter's name and I call my daughter <laughs> by the dog's name and I call the dog by the cat's name. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, my mom would sometimes call the dog by one of our names. Oh, yeah. Um. I got that all the time from my dad. <laughs> I got that all the time. And you know what? He played with the dog more than he played with me. So it was mm. when, you know, I was not... I was a little bit more sensitive about I was Ed sensitive. <laughs> Ed level. Ed level two. And Bradley's wife goes off on, on a lot of TMI here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the first time, yeah, says he knows nothing about women. The first time we met, he was so rude I slapped him. That was how we began dating. Our first date was incredible. Whoops. Oh, my. I didn't mean to talk about my romantic life. Tee hee 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 hee. Jeez. I, you know what? I can only imagine what Bradley, you know, said or did on the first date. I don't even, you know, because this is a family podcast, I'm not, I'm not even going to go. I'm not even going to go down that road. Hmm. And yeah, Selim is all excited that he met Ed and he says he's going to tell his dad when he gets home. Um, And of course, Ed and Al are wondering the obvious question if Selim and his mom 
know that Bradley is a homunculus. Now, you know what's interesting is that in the Japanese, it says Otosan, but it's using the kanji for like adoptive father. Mm, okay. And I, it's a, I think it's a much bigger deal here than it is like mm. in the States, you know, like I was adopted by my stepfather when I reached uh, like 14. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and like my, my cousin adopted her, uh, her stepdaughter and it's, you know, it's just, it's not as big of a deal, but here it's like, I think it's much harder to adopt and it's, there's very like arcane rules about, uh, like mm-hmm. adopting somebody into the family. There's a lot of, you know, like family lines. It's all really mm-hmm. serious and a big deal. Like if you're the big brother and you are like the head of the family and you're like the son of the head of the family, then your son's going to be the head of the family. And so it's like they they have these lines, like this is the main line of the so-and-so family and then y'all are on an extant line, like off to the side. Mm-hmm. You're like from the second brother or something like this. And so it's all Mm. very, yeah, it's much more confusing. (laughs) And (laughs) I was, you know, arcane in my opinion, but you know, it's a different culture. So now we are in North city. Um, They didn't spend a lot of time thinking about that name. We're in the North. We're making a city. Let's call it North city. (laughs) I think all the like a lot of the towns here are have similar <laughs> It's like uh, my, my my I pay I play uh Dungeons and Dragons once a month and my DM she has learned to keep a whole bunch of names like extra names handy just in case because we'll just be walking down the street and one of the players will go what's her name like <laughs> she'll have to come up with something and she said i'm not good with making up names on the spot so it's and she's not <laughs> so it's good to have a it's good to have a list is what i'm saying of backup names yeah so kimberly is there uh and the military guys uh are kind of milling around and they've been trying to find scar and they can't find him. And some of the guys are whispering off to the side. Can you believe that guy? Who does he think he is? Shh, you want to get us court-martialed? The higher ups in central sent him. We're supposed to give him our full cooperation. I think getting court-martialed is the least of their worries. You know, <laughs> pissing Kimberly off is much bigger worry because this guy, yeah is a nutbag. So then a report comes in that Scar has been sighted near the freight train terminal in North City Station. So Kimberly's off. This is my job. Don't interfere. Puts on his hat and walks out. So then we're at the train yard and we see Scar and another person wearing those hoodie ponchos. What kind of ponchos? They do open in the front. Mm. And the military guys there are are watching them. They see them get in a freight car, which they say is a military car, um, headed to Briggs, uh, which, of course, is there in the north near the border. They seem upset that they're not even going to pay their way. (laughs) They're sneaking on the train. (laughs) They're going to be stowaways. Then Kimberly gets on the train and... Not Scar, but the other man is there. Um, and 
Kimberly assumes that it's Dr. Marco. I've come to escort you back, he says. And the other man runs away, and Kimberly catches him and turns him around, but it's Yoki. And huge letters next to Kimberly's face. Who is this? <laughs> yeah, it just says, Dare? Dare. Who? With a huge question mark. With those eyes. <laughs> Those like, yeah. Yeah. Crazy eyes. <laughs> uh, and then Scar jumps in. Uh, and I don't know, I found this panel a little hard to understand. Um, I guess there's a motion line there that he's like swinging his leg around. And the sound effect is thock. But is he kicking Kimberly? What What is the sound representing? Kimberly doesn't look like he's being kicked. He's just sort of ducking. What I think this is, is this is like a kind of a drop kick. And it's hitting the, it's hitting like the, the crates or whatever in the boxcar. Okay, yeah, looking back at the previous page, the other stuff there was maybe what he ended up kicking. But you, know, you can kind of see the those bags of grain or something there in the background. Right, but. flying through the air. So I think that's what that is. We also can't see his right hand, but it, it almost looks like there's an explosion happening. But I think this is just supposed to be the impact of the kick because there's no lightning or anything. But mm-hmm. what you should not miss in this panel is at the bottom right, Yoki. <laughs> <laughs> Yoki falling over, his hands up in the air there. You can just barely see it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he's like looking up. His nose there is at the top of his head and his mouth is wide open. Oh, and he's in the next panel, too. He's in the next panel, too, and it's easy to miss. Oh, yeah, kind of a cartoony Yoki there. Yeah. I have to switch to my other glasses to get a good look at this. Oh, yeah, and he's crying, I think. Yeah, he's crying. Yeah, I would like to see this at phone book size. <laughs> <laughs> Did, hey, speaking of phone book size, have you ever ordered a book, like just assuming it's going to be like paperback size, and then it ends up being like a big old phone book? <laughs> Um, actually, yes. When I bought uh, Akira, because oh. um, when we talked about it on Deconstructing Comics a few years ago, and well, not only did it come as a phone book size, but I think initially I didn't realize that it was a six volume work, and I bought one. And like, oh, gee, this isn't the end. <laughs> <laughs> That's just bad research. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well. So yeah, I had I bought all six, and um, after because they were so huge, after the podcast was over, I sold them. I don't I don't have that kind of storage space. <laughs> I ordered like two books, reprints of Manly Wade Wellman's short stories. He's an old weird tales guy. While I was mm. in the states, because I figured you know, save on shipping, right? But then I ended up having yeah. to lug these two huge <laughs> books back, not realizing that they were like this big. That's huge. You know, I mean, yeah, just, that's pretty big. Just looking at it, if you looked at a picture of it, you'd think, oh, this is a paperback pocket book, fit in yeah, your like pocket, pocket book. Yeah, size but, book. Yeah, it's 
almost the height and width of a phone book and definitely the thickness of one. <laughs> so I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Kids, ask your parents what phone books are. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, so Kimberly and Scar are facing off here. We've got some silent panels except for the train sound, Gatan, Gatan, which keeps getting louder, uh, at least for dramatic effect, as Scar recognizes Kimberly. And I think Kimberly recognizes Scar, too, because he gets a big smile on his face. Oh, yeah. So they, and they show they the remember panel. each other from chapter 61, you know, in the, the war volume, where, remember, Kimberly stands on top of something or other, a building, a wall, and kills a bunch of Ishbalans. And that's the attack where Scar loses his arm. Yeah, you can see, you get another glimpse of pre-Scar Scar. Right, yeah, there's a flashback panel here of Kimberly on top of the wall with the, and you can see the symbol on his on the palm of his hand and, yeah, pre-Scar Scar looking up at him. And then, I mean, I thought this was a little weird because this page seemed like a perfect end of the scene, but you turn the page and we got a few, couple more panels that I didn't feel like were really necessary. Um, with Scar and Kimberly kind of facing each other, we see the back of Kimberly, and then there's a close-up of Scar and a close-up of Kimberly. Well, but I, I didn't really feel like that accomplished anything. Well, what that is is that it's they're both doing their attacks. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what all those action lines are for. It's uh, they're, right. they're both. But then the then the scene ends, and we don't actually see anything more. So yeah, I don't know. I, <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't too hot on those extra panels. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. Like just facing off and realizing who each other were. That's a perfect place to to cut off, and then they could. But I think what would happen though is the next time that they showed up, you'd have to have them, you, and then. Hmm you know, like mm-hmm, bring their mm-hmm, fists back mm-hmm. and, you know, get into attack position. So I guess she decided she'd put that here instead of mm, go over it. I just kind of get it over with, but wordlessly. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, they're getting over the shock or surprise and getting ready to actually fight. What's probably going to happen is like somewhere in the next chapter, we're just going to see like an explosion off in the distance or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> again yeah she likes doing those off yeah off panel yeah explosion from miles away yeah then we're with mei chang and oh here's dr marco so yeah that was him that she was with in the train station right yay i was right <laughs> <laughs> you win the no prize <laughs> okay thanks stan um so I guess now part of the reason that they're, well, so they split up, right? Because uh, Yoki and Scar went one way and drew the military off towards them. You know, Scar really stands out and that everybody's always looking for him. Um, and so it enables these two to head off a different way. And as we see in the scene, they went to the place where scar had hidden his brother's research this little cabin out in the woods in the snowy mountains 
So they've got the book of his brother's research now, but they're, they don't know what the contents say. Um, right. The last panel of the scene, will this turn out to be the book of hope or the book of despair? Or the book of love. <laughs> no, that's not one of the choices. No. Yeah, so maybe in the next chapter we'll find out what's different about this country's alchemy. Old comics can be pretty amusing. Don't you love it? The dollar sign on the bag. Yeah. <laughs> that means it has money in it. And the early issues of Amazing Spider-Man are no exception. And there's this line about Mark Twain in here, which has to be the funniest thing Stanley ever wrote. Join me, Tim, along with a rotating cast of Emmett. Yes, let's Snopes.com this issue of <laughs> Spider-Man. Patrick. Ha-ha, I'm here. Now you must feel my wrath. And Kumar. To say you just hit the jackpot about herself is so great. As we make our way through the transition from Ditko to Ramita and Peter Parker's transition from being a high school student with a doting aunt. Aunt May's worrying about Peter. Peter's worrying about that way. To a college student with his own pad, facing the big questions in life. Why is Gwen having a party on a Sunday? Support Deconstructing Comics on Patreon for at least $4 a month and get access to the monthly podcast Spider-Man Transitions. It just seemed unlikely that, you know, he would go into melee with the rhino and not get his arm snapped. Go to patreon.com slash deconcomics today. I know, I'll become a costume criminal. I know. Sure, that's what clear-thinking people decide. Then Winry calls the hotel where Ed and Al were and finds out that they're gone. Uh, she had some good polishing oil to send to Ed. No, to, to Al. To Al. Oh, yeah, to Al. Okay, not for the, not for the automail arm, but for the uh, armor. Okay. And the hotel guy says that he believes they reserved train tickets to go north to Briggs. So she's hanging up the phone and she says, that idiot. Um, and her boss, I forgot his name. Yeah, I forgot too. <laughs> yeah, the, mm, the effeminate guy. Mm. And when she says, I guess Ed went north, he says, oh my, but then they're in mortal danger. Now, I would never have expected a panel where someone is saying they're in mortal danger to look like this. <laughs> <laughs> it's more, you know, uh, queer eye for the full metal guy or something in this panel but yeah but he's saying and he's kind of smiling and looking kind of cute and flirty and saying they're in mortal danger <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know it, it doesn't make any more sense in the japanese it doesn't <laughs> it's just like you know <laughs> so arama sore like that's what mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so with this with the gleam the gleam in the eye and then, of course, as they say in Japan, like if somebody talks about you, then you you'll sneeze or something you'll like that. Sneeze, yeah. yeah. So Ed sneezes. Wekshoi. And they blame it on the cold weather because they're uh, out in the country in the snow, heading north, um, and they're riding on a wagon that pulled by a horse, and the guy's sitting on the horse, like a farmer or something. Um, and he he warns them that uh, beyond this gate, it's all military property, and if they go off the road, they'll kill you. 
And he says, see ya. <laughs> and they say, huh? And he, he says he heard that a storm was coming. And so they're heading out and pretty soon there's a huge blizzard all around them. And they can't even see the road anymore. Yeah, just like this is how uh, American Werewolf in London starts. Hmm, in a blizzard? No, but they were they were walking along the road and then all of a sudden, hey, we're not on the road anymore. Didn't they say not to get off the road? <laughs> yeah. And they're remembering that their teacher, Izumi, supposedly survived for a whole month in the Briggs Mountains in winter and said that she even killed a bear. And then next thing they know, there's what appears to be like an abominable snowman looming over them. We just see a silhouette. Um, although it's not really an accurate silhouette of the character that we end up seeing. I get, well, I guess if you count the fur around his collar, I guess I can kind of see how the silhouette would result, but <laughs> not quite. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's a little bit of a fudging of the details to, you know, Mm -hmm. So to let our imagination go wild. It doesn't look like a bear, that's for sure. No. <laughs> Where are the ears? Where's the neck, for that matter? Um, so who it actually is, is this military guy wearing a winter coat, and he has an automail chainsaw arm. Yeah, like a, and a nasty-looking thing. It's like, I think I've seen machinery something like this, but it's like, the chainsaw, it has like a jaw, you know, with steel teeth that kind of mm -hmm. holds something in while it gets chainsawed. Either way, it doesn't look friendly. Yeah, and he refers to it as the Heavy Combat M1913A Crocodile. <laughs> which raises the question, so they have crocodiles in this world, okay. <laughs> Um, and he thinks that Ed and Al are spies from Drachma, and he won't really listen to Ed and Al trying to explain otherwise. Ed, maybe it's the cold. He says he's in pain and he can't move his automail. Yeah, that seems to be what I think what is driving the worry of uh, the other people hearing that he's gone to the north is like he doesn't, his automail's not built for that kind of cold. Mm -hmm. That's the feeling that I got. Yeah. I guess you have to winterize it or something. I not, don't know how that works. That's right. Needs to take it to Winry to get winterized and put antifreeze in and stuff. <laughs> uh, so he has a fight with this guy and nearly gets his automail hand cut off. But he gets Al to throw him his armor helmet and bangs the guy on the head with it. And the, fed, the plume on top of the helmet gets kind of jammed in the chainsaw and ed is able to get his hand out but he's saying even if i survive this mountain winry's gonna kill me for messing up her automail again <laughs> why does winry always blame the victim <laughs> <laughs> she she always sees that first like, yeah. do i have to do my work <laughs> and the blizzard abruptly let lets up and they see that there are a bunch of other soldiers around them holding guns on them. And so they're led to the Briggs base and they're introduced to Major General Armstrong, which is 
uh, are you know the previously known Armstrong's sister. Now I've always wondered why her name was Olivier because that sounds like a man's name, but I guess you know just kind of choosing random names from that European names dictionary. <laughs> Sometimes yep. you end up with a name of the wrong gender. Yeah, I have a friend named Olivier. Male or female? And, uh, male. Okay. Male. When I was in high school, we had a French exchange student named Olivier in our home for a month. Hmm. So they're surprised that she's not huge <laughs> if she's Armstrong's sister. Yeah. Big sister, no less, but not literally big. Did you learn any French from the exchange student? Not really, no. I wanted a German exchange student, but they, there weren't any. So I ended up with, with a, <laughs> a substitution. <laughs> so Ed and Al have a letter of introduction from uh, Major Alex Lewis Armstrong, the Armstrong that we've known up to this point. Didn't know his name was Alex. His middle name is Louis. Yeah, Louis or Lewis, depending on if you're pronouncing it in French or not. What a wonderful world. You know that Louis Armstrong? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's crazy and she looks at it and she's says it's definitely from alex and then she rips it up and says it doesn't mean anything to her she doesn't need anyone else's evaluation but what if it had like their grandmother's cookie recipe <laughs> written on in there i think she's not into baking you know like you don't know what could be in there my cousin when we were visiting north carolina I, my cousin who i haven't seen in over a decade uh, flew in from Texas to mm. say to stay for a weekend, say hi, and I swear, her and my dad spent half the time exchanging recipes. <laughs> <laughs> mm. So, but she's going to let them in. Apparently, well, she's at least trying to make it look like the letter didn't mean anything to her. But you know, she's kind of abruptly saying, um, "Okay, come on in. Um, I'm not going to babysit you, though. Uh, this is Briggs and natural fortification, and this land only the strong survive." Now, natural fortification, I mean, what we're seeing here is not natural. This is clearly man-made. Uh, looks like a like a dam or something. Yeah. I guess they mean the, the mountains around it, perhaps? Mm. I somehow remember something about this, like, only the strongest survive kind of deal. Mm -hmm. But I might be confusing it with any other number of stories. I guess maybe they have duels to the death or something as a daily occurrence. <laughs> uh, by the way, we didn't mention the guy with the chainsaw is Captain Buccaneer. <laughs> Captain Buccaneer. Interesting. You know, it's still, you're never going to get as bad as the naming in JoJo, you know, which is for me <laughs> right. the worst if if the naming is something that keeps you from reading the series, that's bad naming. Because I just can't. I just can't. I'll give JoJo one more try. One more try before I die. And then that'll be it. That'll, then I'll, you know, if I make it, I make it. If I don't, that's it. No more. Yeah, I mean, my ex-wife and all four of my kids like JoJo. And I just don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> What's, what's not to get? The crazy sound effects, the really difficult-to-read page layouts, the all the characters named after 70s and 80s bands that you're very familiar with and <laughs> super distracting, or uh, all the poses stolen from uh, 80s fashion magazines, or, you know, like, <laughs> so what? what's there not to like? 
I don't know. I, I don't really like the art style. Yeah, I never have. But yeah, mm. it is a phenomenon. Anyway. I mean, it's super loved. So yeah, yeah. I I did read the first two parts. I read the first two parts, and everybody says, "No, it's the third part that's where it gets good." <laughs> they always do that to me. You know, like with One Piece too. It's like I read up to I read fourteen volumes of One Piece. Like, no, it's volume fifteen. That's where. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I didn't make it. <laughs> you know, I mean, I understand. Okay, like I, I put my daughter through the first two seasons of Star Trek: Next Generation, hoping that she'll make it to the third and fourth, but. You know, and we, we somehow we made it. <laughs> okay, but yeah, I'm I'm halfway through season two right now of Next Generations. Uh, season two is probably has some of the weakest, but still, there's good stuff in there. Yeah, yeah, I I thought it was fine. Um, I mean, I've I don't think I've ever seen anything after season two because that was when I left for Japan. Um, oh, and oh my god, so, season three has so much good stuff. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what happened after this. What's weird, though, and I'm getting real off topic, but I was sure that I would recognize or you know, remember most of the season two episodes when I saw them. But after disc one, I'm like, I've never seen this. I've never seen this. <laughs> <laughs> None of them ring any bell. The first four episodes, I, I kind of remember this. But after that, it's just been nothing. So, so um, obviously, we're going to have to start another podcast. Oh, no. Just <laughs> <laughs> Just to talk about our rewatch. Yeah, Star Trek, the next, next podcast. Oh, boy. Um, so, sound effects. We got a smorgasbord of sound effects in the chainsaw scene. I'm still making my making my choices here. Any thoughts on favorite sound effect? Um, okay, so I think the, the exhaust from the, chain, the chainsaw arm... Hmm. After he pulls the chain and, uh, like, this burst of steam, obviously hot steam is what I'm... Because the sound has this kind of hot, dull sound to it. Dodum. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's vroom in English. I don't know. That's that's pretty lame in English. Yeah, it's, would would never be my favorite. The other, the other one that I, I liked was... That one, it was when we mentioned, we first mentioned, oh yeah, sound effects. Um, the, the cocking of the guns, the kachak. Oh, at the library. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that jaga, or is it, yeah, it's jaga. I thought it was jaka. No, no, it's jaka with a small tsu, but the small tsu is right near the ka, so it looks like it could be. You know, changing the ka into ga, it's a little bit confusing. But yes, jaka, like a mm, cocking mm. sound, okay. which uh, which is not a typical sound for this. So it's it's mm. kind of. I thought that was interesting. A okay. unique sound. I think I'm gonna have to go with uh, when Ed has Al's helmet in his hand and hits uh, Buccaneer with it. The sound effect is ba. <laughs> so I don't know. Apparently, it's Scrooge. Bah, humbug. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's ba. 
in Japanese. Okay, so it's, that's, it's the they, same they sound effect. Go, except, yeah, looking at it in English, I want to give it a different vowel sound. Bah. See, I'm guessing that, that there are different people working on the translations because, like, you said that the uh, the train sounds were gatan gatan, which is exactly what they are in Japanese. Mm. And so, I think, like, in the past, like, uh, whoever's doing the translation tends to translate a lot of these sounds to something. Yeah, try to find an English equivalent where others might just adopt the Japanese sound if there isn't an obvious English one. Right. And, uh, you know, I think train, like, click clank click clank is pretty, you know... Mm. Yeah, gatan, that does sound very... Gatan sounds very Japanese. Yeah. Well, here we are at the wall, white walkers ready to attack and everything. <laughs> well, it's the right kind of environment anyway. It's the north. You're going to die if you walk off the road in the north. Winter is here. It's not just coming. That's right. Well, if winter doesn't come, we'll go to winter. How's that? <laughs> okay. All right. So that's Wait. chapter 64. Yep, one more. One more left in volume 16. Yeah, while wow, this volume is really flying by. Yep. So what is the law of equivalent exchange, Patrick? <sighs> oh, boy, Tim. You know, I sometimes wonder. <laughs> but in my wanderings, I found this, this diary, and in it it says, you get what you pay for. Hmm, okay. Left by Scar's brother. <laughs> okay. There was a book, so we'll see the you Book next of time. Love. <laughs> wow, we really got bad at ending this one, Tim. It's, it might be time for us to find a new a new phrase. <laughs> yeah. It takes a village to make a philosopher's stone. It takes a philosopher's stone to kill a village. It takes an Atacawa and a whole bunch of assistants to make a beautiful comic book that lasts 27 volumes and <laughs> ties it. everything is all tied together nice and neatly yeah okay yeah that's catchy <laughs> <laughs> okay see you next time next time look forward to see you on again bye bye our theme is winter fiend by cryosyncope you can follow us on Twitter at LOEE Podcast or email us at LOEE Podcast at DeconstructingComics.com. Support our show on Patreon at patreon.com slash deconcomics. See you in two weeks. The Law of Equivalent Exchange is a production of DeconstructingComics.com. The Law of Equivalent Exchange. This is Tim in Tokyo reading Fullmetal Alchemist in English, published by Viz. And this is Patrick back in Kumamoto reading the original Renkin, uh, Renkin no ha, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Take two. Take two. <laughs>